Welcome to Repro's Fight Back, a podcast on all things repro. I'm your host, Jenny Wetter, and each episode I will be taking you to the front lines of the escalating fight over our sexual and reproductive health and rights at home and abroad. Each episode I will be speaking with leaders who are fighting to protect our reproductive health and rights to ensure that no one's reproductive health depends on where they live. It's time for Repro's to Fight Back. Welcome to Repro's Fight Back. On this week's episode, we are going to discuss one of the largest racial disparities in women's health. A black woman is 22% more likely to die from heart disease than a white woman, and 71% more likely to die from cervical cancer. But an outrageous 243%, yes, 243% more likely to die from pregnancy or childbirth-related causes than a white woman. Helping me dig into this topic, I'm really excited to have Jamila Taylor, a senior fellow with the Center for American Progress, here to talk to me today. Welcome, Jamila. Thanks, Jenny. I'm happy to be here. So let's start at the beginning and just kind of talk about the overall status of maternal health in the U.S. Right. Um, so I think your you know introduction really sums it up. Um, right now, um, we are seeing some of the highest rates of maternal mortality that we've ever seen, particularly among black women. Um, we know that the disparities between black women and non-Hispanic white women um, are pretty stark. And so we're in a situation where, you know, if we don't start thinking about the root causes of this issue, that we're going to continue to see you know, black women dying, um, these premature, um, largely preventable deaths. When we think about that, we hear several different things that are hypothesized for causing this big gap. So let's kind of break them down and why they are or maybe aren't responsible for this gap. Right. And so I think across the the spectrum um, in terms of research that we see around health disparities, um, largely in, I think, public health spaces and also in, in, you know, some of the social science spaces, there is this look at, you know, sort of what are the behaviors that contribute to Black Americans, you know, having higher rates of death, you know, and morbidity in certain areas. And so, for instance, you know, if you look at Um, issues around obesity, you know, and um, we know there are large numbers of African-American women who experience obesity, um, smoking in terms of heart disease and some of these other issues. But when it comes to maternal health issues, um, we control for all of those things, you know, physical health, even socioeconomic status. We know that even black and white women who are equally healthy, on equal footing, even in terms of like education um, and income level, that black women are still more likely to die. And so I think as we digest the research around this issue, um, we have to acknowledge the fact that these other factors, you know, these health risks, um, quote unquote health risks that we see associated with mortality and morbidity do not help us answer questions, you know, in terms of why black women are more likely to die in pregnancy and childbirth. Yeah, and I think that was one of the really interesting things when I was reading the paper that Kat put out was seeing that black women who is more higher educated, has worse uh, health outcomes than a woman who, a white woman who did not have a high school education. Right. 
Absolutely. And when you look at, you know, those comparisons, you know, I think it points to the fact that we're looking at an issue that deals with social and structural inequality and racism. And so that's one of the things in terms of CAP's approach, you know, part of what we wanted to do with this paper was to delve deeper into the research, you know, looking at what we already know about poor pregnancy-related outcomes, what leads to those And, you know, how we compare, you know, non-Hispanic white women to black women. And when looking at the research, you know, it it clearly shows that these higher rates of mortality are not due to any sort of behavioral or even um, pre-exposure to other, you know, social and environmental issues. And so it really comes down to um, the racism piece here. So one of the things that really does get talked about and you see theorized a lot is that socioeconomic and poverty plays a big role Mm -hmm. but this research says that maybe that's not true or not solely responsible. Right, absolutely. I mean, we know that generally, you know, we also see disparities in terms of poverty levels among black women. Black women are more likely to, you know, work in jobs that are low-paying jobs They are more likely to lack flexibility in the workplace. Um, And then a a whole host of other sort of gender inequalities um, and workplace issues, you know, that impact their livelihoods and then ultimately could impact their health. And when it comes to the income and education piece, it's really tricky because, again, you know, we're seeing that even among highly educated um, middle and upper income black women, they're still having these poor maternal health outcomes, you know, even when compared to white women that don't have, you know, higher education um, or higher income levels. You know, those women are still having healthy pregnancies, you know, largely across the board. And so so we can't simply answer, I think, or deal with this issue in a way um, where we're only focused on low-income women. Mm-hmm. Um, the approach is going to have to be much broader than that. And I think even a cap, as we sort of think through what are the policy solutions, we know that things like access to, you know, quality health care is important, or even like ensuring that all the low-income women that qualify for Medicaid have access to it, but the answer is not solely resting with health insurance coverage. So it's a very complex issue. Well, yeah, and a lot of those women got left behind in a lot of states that didn't expand their Medicaid programs under the Affordable Care Act. Absolutely. And look, I mean, it it will certainly help to have more states come on board and expand their Medicaid programs because you will have more women able to access um, services and health care, you know, under Medicaid, uh, particularly women in middle income spectrums. And so, you know, insurance coverage is important, but again, it's not the end all be all. And I'll just add too. I mean, another aspect of the story when it comes to maternal mortality is that, you know, we've seen some stories of women being elevated in the media, even, you know, Serena Williams and her own experience with her healthcare provider where she, you know, had a postpartum complication, um, had gone to her healthcare provider and, you know, initially was just told, oh, you know, I think you just need to rest. I'm sure there's no issue. And she pushed and eventually the issue was addressed. But not all women have that 
privilege to go to their provider and say something isn't right. And we even saw that through the um, ProPublica and NPR stories that were published, you know, have been published over the span of several months where they have highlighted, you know, everyday Black women who had experienced complications, had gone to their providers, telling them that something didn't feel right. And oftentimes, you know, they're ignored. And so... There's also an issue that we have to deal with in terms of providers, you know, implicit biases that may be relevant or present with providers and how they interact with Black women. I think that's going to be an important aspect of any strategies to help um, save Black women's lives. Yeah, that was another thing that really struck me when I was reading through the report was talking about how Black women feel like they're not being heard when they talk to their providers. And I know you kind of see the research saying that women overall don't have their pain acknowledged when they visit the doctors, but this also seemed to take it uh, much further that black women in particular are not being heard. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that we're hearing as a theme throughout the stories that are being elevated for women that have been affected by maternal health complications, um, black women in particular. And so um, I think we can't ignore that because even if clearly these women have had access to the health care that they needed, um, and oftentimes they've had the income to support any services that they needed in addition to what was covered in their insurance, so forth and so on. But um, if they aren't being listened to or trusted by their providers, then that's causing them their lives. Yeah. And I think another area that, um, and this, again, I think can fall under like the institutional racism is talking mm-hmm. about environmental factors yes. and living in areas where... Um, they just aren't as healthy. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw that with the Flint water crisis. You know, there were several reports that came out um, that showed that, you know, there were increased rates of infant mortality um, for, particularly for Black women um, in the Flint area who did have exposure to lead-induced water. And as you said, in terms of the structural racism piece, these are women you know, that happen to live in a low-income area. They're largely women of color, and it has impacted their um, maternal health. And so, you know, when we have any policies or programs that have a disproportionate impact on people of color in a way that is harmful um, and hurtful to their livelihoods, you know, that's what structural racism is. Yeah, and I think what was particularly egregious in Flint is you also saw an increase in miscarriages, and that was only the ones they were able to measure, which was if it was after 20 weeks. And so they think that there's a lot more that happened because they happened before that but aren't included in the counting. Right, absolutely. And so even for... Um, So, yes, we have the issue around, um, you know, infant deaths and and miscarriages. I think also there are going to be, for children and women who have had exposure to lead water, um, this is going to impact them, you know, throughout the span of, you know, their lifetime. You know, so I think particularly for children, you know, they're going to have to be tested and researchers will have to keep an eye on them in terms of like the lasting effects of this. But again, it's just one example of, you know, where we see these environmental factors that impact um, maternal and infant health and child health issues and all, you know, sort of within that, you know, rubric of structural racism. Yeah, and I think it really comes together with, you know, environmental justice and reproductive justice, really kind of having these overlapping conversations that need to happen. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's intersecting all of those things. 
I'll also add, too, that another piece of this that Cabin tends to look at, too, is food insecurity. Oh, yeah. Um, and how that may impact maternal and infant health outcomes as well. Um, so not only looking at, you know, where, you know, the sort of concentrations of people of color um, that are living in places with, you know, high food insecurity, but also how policy changes and cuts to funding for programs like WIC and SNAP, you know, how those impact communities of color, particularly Black families. And so we're going to look at that and, you know, see if there's a connection there too in terms of um, maternal health outcomes. So we talked about physical health not mm-hmm. having, also not being a major uh, contributor to the gap. Um, one of the other areas that you guys looked at was mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And so mental health is, you know, particularly maternal mental health is, you know, an important thing to examine when it comes to um, poor maternal health outcomes. I think in terms of, you know, how it impacts maternal mortality, I think the rates there aren't really high. But we know that Black women, particularly Black um, single moms, have very high rates of postpartum depression to the point where it not only affects their livelihoods, but also the livelihoods of their children, even throughout, you know, the early years of school and so forth and so on. So maternal mental health is an important issue that we need to address. I think, you know, it's a contributing factor for poor maternal health outcomes. And then also keeping in mind with the fact that communities of color lack access to um, maternal mental health services. Um, and so we need to do more to make sure that folks of color, low-income communities have access to comprehensive mental health care. And that's another good thing about the ACA. You know, it does um, support access to mental health services. Um, it's one of the essential health benefits of the ACA. So it's covered, it's free. And so really doing more, I think, to also, I think, educate, you know, communities of color that that services there and available to them, you know, if they are getting mm-hmm. health care through the ACA. Destigmatizing and then, it. Right. Destigmatizing it, which I think, you know, will have to be done at the community level. But, you know, we can do more to educate everyone in our communities about how important that is. I think also, too, we're seeing mental health not addressed in communities of color is also a factor in like living in, you know, unsafe communities, Um, you know, what we're seeing in terms of police violence. I mean, you turn on the television and another unarmed black person has been killed by the police. I mean, all of these things take their toll on our communities. And so really doing more to address trauma um, and mental health issues is a key aspect of this. At the same time, I mean, we also know that black women also carry a lot on themselves, you know, in their communities. You know, I'm a black woman and can tell you that we, not only are we sort of faced with, you know, stresses in the workplace, you know, if you happen to be a single mom, that can be added stress. Um, And oftentimes we're putting other people ahead of ourselves. So the mental health piece, is also key. And because it oftentimes goes unchecked among women of color, we need to do more to to raise the visibility of the issue and then also make sure that, you know, mental health screenings should be a part of any sort of postpartum support and healthcare services that women have as well. Absolutely. I think this really gets into a little bit of tearing apart what you mean when you say racism is the factor. And I think getting into that mental health conversation really kind of started it out of how Um, violence in the community and all of these things and the women carrying so much impacts their overall health before 
and that is part of the racism where you're talking about the gap. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think also, too, there's sort of this perception that, I mean, I think it's not just for Black women, but I think women in general, like, you have to be strong. You have Mm -hmm. to, you know, be there for everyone else. And I can't emphasize enough how that, you know, is hurting some women, and that's a lot of pressure to, to put on women. You know, so we definitely need to do more. And as you said, racism is a common thread throughout all of this. All of these issues that we're talking about today, you know, there are policies in place that are perpetuating these situations where, you know, people of color are experiencing inequality. You know, it's something that has not been addressed over the span of many years, and it's leading to deaths in these communities. You know, I think maternal mortality is just one example, Mm -hmm. but we can also look at other, you know, health conditions where, you know, across the board, you know, black folks are more likely to die or have morbidity in these areas. And so, So, you know, the common thread is racism and we have to get to the root causes to fully address them. And I hope that conversation seems to be moving ahead a little bit in the ways that it also seems to be getting worse. But like the conversations I think are being had more openly than they have in the past. And I know it seems like the white community is starting to engage a little more, which is good to see, hopefully in ways that are helpful, but not always. (laughs) Yes, I think we are in an important moment, you know, and in that I have to give a nod to black women led organizations like Black Mamas Matter Alliance, Mm -hmm. um, the National Birth Birth Equity Collaborative, you know, and groups like that who are not only working, I think, at the community level to engage um, other black women and black women led organizations locally and at the state level, but also that work is trickling up nationally. I think what we've seen in terms of the piece from ProPublica, as well as Serena Williams sharing her story, even if we look at, you know, the untimely death of Erica Garner, you know, these stories um, and the conversation is raised to a national level now. And so with that, you know, we have the first ever Black Maternal Health Week coming up um, April 11th through the 17th. Um, This is a week that is um, focused on amplifying the voices of Black women Um, in the maternal health um, and maternal mortality space, and also lifting up Black women-led organizations that are really focused on addressing this issue. I also have have to give a nod to doulas and midwives who are working at the community level. I mean, there are some really impressive programs that are happening largely on shoestring budgets, um, you know, led by women of color who are trained doulas that have said, look, you know, we want to do more to ensure that Black women and women of color have positive birth experiences. And so they have, you know, um, created these programs um, and models that are really helping save, you know, the lives of women of color. And not only are they working at the service level, but they're also patient advocates. And so there is a lot of important, exciting work happening in this space. Um, And we also need policy and programs to follow suit. Great. Well, that leads us perfectly into what needs to be done to address that. So we talked a little bit about the community level, what at the policy level can be done. Well, I think at the policy level, we have some low hanging fruit. You know, I think that we are in a place where, you know, we've seen all of these efforts to, you know, repeal and replace the ACA. And through the work of activists um, and advocates, you know, we have been able to save the ACA. So I think we can applaud that. Um, But that doesn't mean that it's not still under attack. 
back. I mean, we, we still sort of see these efforts at the administrative level in particular to undermine um, the mm-hmm. ACA. So, you know, we need to keep working and making sure that we protect the ACA. I think Medicaid expansion is something that you also mentioned. Um, you know, I think these things are sort of the low-hanging fruit. But, I mean, we also need to think more about how we can get to those middle and upper income black women. And so there will need to be more research and thinking about that. I think we also need to address, you know, some of the issues around structural racism that we talked about in terms of ensuring that families have access to, you know, whole foods and nutritious meals. Clean water is an issue. I can't even believe we have to talk about these things in the United States. It is 2018, but you know what? Hunger is still a major issue in this country, particularly for children. And so that's an issue we have to address. Um, I think we need comprehensive legislation that acknowledges that structural racism is a factor in maternal and infant mortality, and then coming up with solutions that address key aspects of structural racism, you know, that we've talked about, you know, safe communities and policing and um, how that impacts folks, comprehensive, you know, support in terms of mental health services, ensuring that healthcare is of quality. You know, I think, you know, access is one issue, but we also need to make sure that women of color have access to quality health care. So, you know, I'm hoping that we see that. I think, you know, in order to have uh, a comprehensive piece of legislation that we want passed, you know, it's going to take a while. But I think, you know, there are some things that we can sort of do um, within the context of the the current situation to help ensure better access to health care. I also recognize that we're in the midst of fighting, you know, to ensure, you know, that reproductive rights are, you know, yeah, that's what upheld I was and protected. You know, we're seeing restrictions being tacked on to access to abortion at the states, you know, a very ferocious effort and federally. And so um, working together, I think, to do what we can to protect women's access to abortion is also a key piece of this. I mean, all of this is a thread. Mm-hmm. You know, abortion is health care. It's a part of comprehensive health care that women need. And, and it's an important aspect, I think, to ensure that women have healthy pregnancies and healthy reproductive lives. Yeah, that brings me into something we also, we haven't talked about on uh, this podcast yet, and we'll definitely have an episode covering it more in depth later, but talking about what's happening with Title X, mm-hmm. which is the only progr- federal program with access to family planning for low-income women, right. and it's really under attack right now. Yeah, Title X is under attack, and so that's another, I think, piece of the of the policy puzzle here. You know, not only have we seen, you know, sort of protections for Title X providers that are also offering abortion services with private non-federal funding be targeted by this administration. You know, this administration has been slow to roll out its grants for this year, and even in the grant notices, they are really focused focusing on messages around abstinence and not focusing on services, not not focusing on services, moving away from evidence-based interventions that we know work, that we know help prevent pregnancy, which is really odd because at the same time, you know, they don't want women to have access to abortions, but they also don't want to help them prevent unwanted pregnancy. So that's kind of, that's a weird thing, something I never understand with right. conservatives in terms of these issues. And also want to cut back on SNAP and, right. and maternal health care. Right. And 
So SNAP, maternity care, all of those things, um, which are key aspects to policies that help women thrive. And so I do think that, you know, we have to keep a close eye on this, but also fight to make sure that women have access to these services. Title 10 is just one piece of the pie in terms of access to contraception. You know, we're we're seeing, you know, threats to Planned Parenthood at every turn, um, an important frontline provider that oftentimes... Um, is acting as the sole access point for healthcare for, you know, women of color um, in low-income communities. Um, and so if I'm a woman that lives in Southeast D.C. and Planned Parenthood is the only place that I have to go, and for some reason I can't get healthcare there because, you know, that Planned Parenthood may not be accepting Medicaid or may not be able to support me through Title X grant funding, that's going to be an issue. And so all of these things sort of create this perfect mix um, where women's health care is being attacked at every turn. And somehow, like, women's health care seems to be seen as not health care. I know, which is crazy. But, I mean, again, you mentioned maternity care. You know, yep. we also saw, you know, members of Congress trying to eliminate maternity care as one of the, you know, essential health benefits. So it's just, I don't understand, <laughs> you know. it's I feel like it's, you know, women's health is a piece of it, but I think even just broader in terms of, like, the attack and assault on women yeah, um, is, is really, you know, what we're seeing here. I think one of the things I read, and unfortunately I can't remember which article it was I read, but while getting ready for this interview, was talking about how even the healthcare system itself, it focuses, when you're pregnant, it focuses on the fetus yeah. and not very much on the mother. Yeah, it's true. I mean, that argument can also be made, too, on the, the baby once it's born. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's another thing that we've seen um, from research is that the response and sort of model of care from healthcare providers is really to focus on the infant once it's born. And there are times where, you know, mom's health is ignored um, or not addressed adequately. And so, again, I think that's a fallacy because we're seeing women's lives be caused death because of this. And we did focus a lot on maternal mortality, but that's not to say there are There are a lot of things that are bad up until that, right? There's a lot of maternal health risks that are not mortality that don't get talked about as much. Right. Absolutely. We talked about maternal mental health, which I think, you know, again, could be, you know, in the pre- prenatal period and Mm -hmm. in the postpartum period. And that's an important indicator there. Um, And then even with maternal health, not only if we see it, um, maternal mental health issues in the prenatal period, it could also impact mom keeping up with her, um, you know, prenatal care visits for nutrition and things like that. So there are some important things to address even with, you know, maternal depression and other anxiety issues in the prenatal period. But yeah, the environmental factors that we talked about, exposure to certain toxins like lead in the water is a key piece of that, smoking and things like that. But again, you know, um, and we want, moms should be healthy before they get pregnant or women Mm -hmm. should be healthy before they get pregnant, excuse me. Um, So that's a key piece too. And that's something that we're also advocating for and pushing for in the context of the work. At the same time, it's a very complex issue when we talk about black women, because even when we are healthy, you know, before pregnancy, 
we're still 243 times more likely to experience maternal death, as you mentioned. So it's a very complex issue. And, you know, there are several parts of this um, that we have to focus on and and address. Since this episode is going to be released during Black Maternal Health Week, Mm -hmm. what I always like to end my uh, podcast by talking about what can people do? So what can people do to support these issues? Well, I think one thing or a few things that can be done, particularly during Black Maternal Health Week, is to follow um, the Black Mamas Matter Alliance on Twitter. Um, and, and there's a thunderclap that you can also join for Black Maternal Health Week. And would love folks to um, follow the, the handle um, and then join the Twitter, um, the thunderclap, which would be we'll great. We'll post the link. Thank you for posting the link. Um, so that's an important piece. I think also, you know, we have been working with Representative Alma Adams' office to introduce a resolution that not only commemorates the first ever Black Maternal Health Week, but also lifts up the issue of maternal mortality among Black women. Oh, great. So it would be awesome for, you know, folks listening to the podcast to reach out to their representatives and ask them to co-sponsor this resolution. Um, So that's a key thing that can be done. Um, I think... Folks should continue to, you know, read up on this issue as you see sort of pieces come out or women's stories being shared. Continue to read up on those and share them on your Twitter and Facebook so we can keep the drumbeat going in terms of like addressing these issues. And last but not least, we have very important things coming up in November of of this year (laughs) and 2020. And so, you know, just for folks to think about these issues and sort of where they lie in the context of our elected leaders um, or folks that are um, running for office. I think that's really important. We cannot afford to have another situation where we have people running this country that don't support women's health and rights. This is not only an issue that is related to our health, but also our livelihoods. If we are not healthy and thriving, um, we cannot go to work and and feel happy and have good mental health. Um, So it really impacts all aspects of our lives. And women are important contributors to the productivity and the resilience of this country. And so we have to keep that in mind, that women matter and that, you know, we're active participants in politics and we should be accounted for and focused on, you know, when it comes to the policies and how our leaders run the country. And women are the majority of voters. Yes, and women <laughs> Yes, that's an important part too. Women are the majority of voters. And then also since we're on the topic, we have a record number of women running for office. Yes. And so if you have amazing women running for office in your state, you know, support them. <laughs> you know, um And of course, you know, reproductive health and rights should be a key part um, of that platform. And so, you know, to me, I feel like these issues shouldn't be partisan issues. You know, everyone has a mom or sister. You know, some of us have daughters and, (laughs) you know, women in our lives. Everyone has women in their lives. And these issues are important to all women, regardless of their political affiliation or background. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. Jamila, thank you so much for being here. I really loved it. Thank you so much, Jenny. This was great. For more information, including show notes from this episode and previous episodes, please visit our website at reprosfightback.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Repros Fight Back. 
If you like our show, please help others find it by sharing it with your friends and subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on iTunes. Thanks for listening.